Well, hello there, and welcome to Consortio Day, a podcast about partnering with God to do sacred work. My name is John Chandler, and I'm a spiritual director, and the name of my practice and the name of my podcast are Consortio Day, which is really my rough Latin translation for partnering with God. And my practice is focused on walking alongside individuals and teams who do sacred work to cultivate spiritual practices, soul care, and relational support. So this podcast is a companion to my practice, and I hope it's helpful for you and a gift for you as I interview people about the work that they do and and how they stay uh, connected to God, how they stay partnered with God to do the work that they do. I want to tell you about one thing that I have coming up that I'm really excited about. Shared this, uh, started sharing this over the last week or two, but I am launching my first cohort. It's going to be a small a community of people walking alongside one another, and it is called Practicing Examine. And that's going to be launching next month. So registration for that has opened up. You can go to examinecohort.com. Examine is just a wonderful, um, simple daily prayer that for me has just been key to my own growth, my own my own sense of connection, honestly, with God. And I hope it can be for others as well. And maybe you're longing for that, or maybe that's a practice that you've struggled with in your own life, but have heard so much about it. And so the hope for a cohort then is it's not just a a book that we're reading, or it's not just a a video that we're watching, but it's walking alongside others, both for encouragement and also to learn from each other uh, as we practice this prayer together. So again, that's practicingexamine.com or examinecohort.com. Either of those work. I wanted to make sure people could find it. And you can sign up there for the cohort. Uh, You can also sign up there because this is actually going to be the first, I hope, of a number of cohorts that I'm currently kind of thinking about or have in development. And if this one goes well, uh, I'd certainly love to share this with you down the road. So you can sign up for my email list there as well. Today's guest is Katie Hasseltine, and she wrote a book called All the Things, which I found actually while I was doing the research for this upcoming uh, cohort on Examine, because it is a book about Examine, and I really enjoyed her book. I enjoyed her perspective on it. I enjoyed um, the the practices that she shared within the book, and I thought, man, I would love to have her as a guest because I've learned so much for, from her, and I would love for you to learn from her as well. So she is a spiritual director in Franklin, Tennessee. She is the author of the book I just mentioned, All the Things, and she also works at the Center for Formation, Justice, and Peace. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Katie Hasseltine. Well, Katie, thanks for thanks for being with me today all the way between Phoenix and Nashville. Uh, I know. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the sacred work that you do. Wow. Well, I have been a spiritual director for about nine years. And so part of what I do is meet with individuals. I'm not meeting with groups currently, but I still meet with individuals to practice spiritual direction And in the last year, I've taken a full-time job at a nonprofit called the Center for Formation, Justice, and Peace. And we are trying to leverage um, spiritual formation for the pursuit of justice and peace in the world. So it looks like just asking the questions of how how do you think about cultural and societal issues? Is that being formed by Jesus and his way? or something else. And so we're really trying to say what shapes you and what do you need? What inner resources do you need in order to engage the work of justice and the work of peace on earth um, in a, in a Jesus centered way? 
And so, um, so a lot of what I'm doing now is taking what I've learned as a spiritual director in humanity and how people, how people connect with God and trying to, again, I use that word leverage, but it's, it's more just saying there are applications about other centered thinking that when we're internally secure and growing with God, we then look outward to how we can um, bring justice and peace to the earth. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's great. I, I, this this is way too broad of a generalization, and yet I know there's some <laughs> truth to it, which is in, in so many church circles or church um, – I don't want to say denominations, but maybe I do streams of thought. You know, it seems like so often you have a justice stream and you have a almost like a spiritual formation discipleship stream Mm -hmm. and they're not often, you know, held together, but you can't sustain the justice work without good, deep spiritual formation. And, And honestly, good, deep spiritual formation, if it's not leading to some degree of justice and mission, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's incomplete. So yeah, I love that you're, a part of that. And I love that you get to take all your experiences and formation to do something like that. Yeah. So th- I feel like I wish I could just record that little soundbite and put that on our website. Cause it's, I feel like that's the truth about spiritual formation and justice is they're not in conversation. And I think that's yes. why the, the climate is a little hostile and why so many extraneous conversations are taking up all the air of justice work among Christians and we're not engaged in the actual work of caring for the poor and marginalized because we're too busy fighting and that's not the way of Jesus. So it's like, we've got to have both. They've got to be talking. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe when there's formation happening, there's less fighting too, but anyway, (laughs) Um, I would, uh, I would love to hear. And I mean, I've heard a little bit about this because the way I found you was through reading your book, but I, I would love to hear how you found spiritual direction. Because I, 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 if I recall, you said in your book, it wasn't something that was mm-hmm. part of the tradition you were part of growing up. Mm-hmm. It came later. I don't think I even heard mm-hmm. about it till I was in my 30s as well. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear how mm-hmm. you came to spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, my temperament, um, I'm an Enneagram one, and yeah. the church environment I were, was in, they kind of worked together to create this <clears throat> very theology-driven spirituality where I was very concerned about right theology, yeah. you know, right orthodoxy, right practice, right living. Um, and that was not, that's not a terrible thing. I was in my 20s. You know, there were worse things I could have been doing in my 20s. Sure, sure. But what I noticed is that as as suffering, as difficulty entered um, into my life and into the lives of the people around me, I started noticing it didn't matter how right my theology was. It wasn't enough. And I remember just crying out with some friends, you know, is this all there is, God? And at the same time, the tradition I was a part of, um, there were things I could no longer continue at the church um, and, you know, be a part of. And so I kind of fled that environment and ended up through mutual friends at this Anglican little church um, and met with the priest there who just, I asked him for permission to not be obsessed about what Anglicans believe. I said, does it matter? Do I need to know? And he said, no. And, um, and he said, I just want you to relax. I want you to meet with this woman, Renee, and I want you to, um, 
just ask her what your next steps are. And I had never met a spiritual director. I did not know what a spiritual director was and um, met with her a couple of times. She told me about the Ignatian exercises. And within a month I was, I had started the exercises and it transformed. So I did that within a group. I did that with six or seven other women. And so that was my introduction to spiritual direction. It wasn't so much individual. It was a group going through the exercises together. And from there I did take, I did begin to see her individually. Um, But within a year I was, I was, felt called to be trained as a spiritual director myself. So it was a very fast um, thing, but I talk about it almost like a a very gentle river I fell into. And then once I was in the river in the stream of it all, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is the antidote to my striving to do all the right things. This is just a way to be with God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the anti one. (laughs) So to speak. (laughs) Yes, I always tell people I am my, I am the least one when I'm spiritually directing. Yeah. It is my gift. So it's yeah. a little selfish of me to be um, a spiritual director because it is actually truly a way for me to get out of myself. <laughs> when and, when, and, and when you did the exercises, did you do, I'm getting my annotations mixed up now, but did you do the nine month? Like you, you jumped yes, in? Yes, I did the 19th. Wow. Yeah, uh, retreat in daily life. Yep. I'm getting the 18th and 19th mixed yes. around so, as I do yes. often. So, so I think we've, <laughs> I think in a previous interview or two, the exercises have been named, but I don't know that, you know, we've talked, and I've done them myself, but I haven't talked about them yeah. here. I, would you, I, I'd love it if you could tell people what the spiritual exercises yeah. are. The spiritual exercises were something that uh, this guy, St. Ignatius, um, Mm -hmm. came up with. And he was a soldier of noble birth, and he had his leg shattered by a cannonball, and he was recovering. And he only had um, a book of martyrs or romance novels to read. And (laughs) when he first, I know, it's really, they were reading romance novels back in the 1600s. And um, he, when he first was injured, began just daydreaming about getting better about um, going back out on the battlefield, conquering, going home a conqueror, marrying a beautiful woman, having a lot of money, controlling the town. And he noticed that he would feel good while he was imagining that, but he would go to sleep feeling empty. And then he began to read the Book of Martyrs, and he started imagining during the day a life where he would give his life away, where he would get better and he would go serve people. And it was scary, and he didn't quite know what that looked like, but at the end of the day, he noticed a peace. And so he began just this period of 10 years where he was reflecting on the spiritual life. And he's not the first person, but certainly the person that put it into words that what we think, feel, and imagine about God is forms the basis of our spirituality. And so he wrote over the course of years, something called the spiritual exercises. He became the father of, um, the Jesuits and every Jesuit priest goes through this training. They typically do it in 28 days. It's a 28 day retreat, but for people like me who can't go away for 28 days, cause we have families, they um, do something called retreat in daily life. And it just, it follows the movements of Jesus's life. You kind of just get introduced to Jesus, what he did on earth. You do the crucifixion, you do um, his mission. You do, I think I'm messing up the movements, but there's four of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really just a way to engage Jesus and his work 
um, you do a lot of reading in the gospels. You do a lot of reflection. You do a lot of um, prayers. The examine is one of the prayers that you practice every we'll day when you're <laughs> yeah, doing the, the retreat in daily life. But yeah, it's so it's, it's kind of a, a wonderful, intense, um, beautiful yeah. way to be with Jesus, I think. Yeah, and, and very much with a hope, I think, that you come out of it almost with a uh, a level of friendship with Jesus that you might mm-hmm. not have had going on. Very much emphasis on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think when and I did emphasis, it, yeah. And I think when I did it, I came out realizing there's maybe a little dissatisfied with the amount of friendship with Jesus I developed because I realized there's perhaps even so much more of that available that I'm still trying to learn and experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't think I connected how I felt every day with even friendship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have talked about it in that way. I just would have assumed you get up, you read, because that's what you do. You pray, you ask God to show you where you screwed up that day. <laughs> Bless my one heart. Right, right. I, you know, and I, I asked for what I needed because it, you know, the Bible said, ask mm-hmm. for what you need and it will be given. And I followed all of that, but as far as just saying, I feel distance from you today, God, or I have this weird sense of loneliness and I don't know what to do with it, Jesus. Will you be with me in it? Will you, you know, I was always trying to just be fine and do the next right thing. And um, I didn't even know that I could be a whole person with Jesus. So that level of intimacy and friendship was something I didn't even know was possible with God. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you done the exercises again since then? I hear often from people who repeat them. You know what? It's so funny you say that. In writing the book, I went through my journals um, yeah. from it and said, I have got to do this again. And then life has just been a little wild these last couple of years, and I haven't. But it is on my you know, my very short list of things I need to do in the next couple of years. So yeah. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, I'll just mention there's also – because you you mentioned the nineteenth and the twenty eight day, and then there's also the eighteenth, which some people do, mm-hmm. which is kind of compresses them. It's more the retreat in daily life, but it compresses it down into anywhere from I think mm-hmm. like nine to twelve weeks. I think there's some variety in that. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it's however a director chooses it. But sometimes some people call it light works, and it's just uh, it's meant to be almost an introduction to the exercises. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I feel like I'm hearing, I, I appreciate you taking the time because I feel like I'm hearing, maybe it's the world that I've moved into more. I'm not sure, but I feel like I'm hearing about the exercises in common conversations more lately. So mm-hmm. I would imagine there's people listening to this who might've heard, you know, heard them mentioned here and there or something. I'm going, what are those? So now they have a little bit more mm-hmm. of a framework mm-hmm. for that. And they're, I think they're hugely beneficial. Yeah. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a great exercise. So thank you for that. <laughs> I, I detoured course. then. I, I asked you, you know, about your sacred work and we've talked about that, but this this seems like such a straightforward, simple question, but I really like hearing how people articulate their answer, which is as you are a spiritual director and as you are now, you know, working in this nonprofit merging formation formation and justice. It's it's the afternoon for me. I'm having a hard time with my words. <laughs> Um, early afternoon is not my best time, I think, but here we are. Uh, what role does partnering with God play in the work that you do? 
how do you have to lean on God for the work that you do? I think that <laughs> the one word that describes why I need God is just powerlessness. I think it's this sense that um, the work that I do is monumental in a sense. If you think about the fact that um, what the Bible teaches is that all human beings are made in the image of God and therefore have equal worth, dignity, mm, yeah. creativity, gifts. Um, and I work in a space where we're acknowledging that there yeah. are people who are not treated as though they are made in God's image. And it mm. is heartbreaking and it is difficult. And it's Christians who yeah. are at yeah. times perpetrating some of these um, injustices. And so there is just this helplessness, this powerlessness of I can't change thousands of years of structural injustice. So God, by your spirit, show me today where you are so I don't lose hope that mm -hmm. this is work worth doing. And even you know, when I meet with individuals um, in taking a job full time, I took, I kept the directees who I felt were consistent, who were in times of crisis, who sure. asked me to, who, um, and, and that typically means that they're in really hard situations. And um, there is this level of, as a one, I want to fix things. I want to make it right for them. And that is not my role. And so partnering with God looks like saying, you love this person more than I do. You see the future for this person. You know what today they need. And it's just opening my hands to, will you help me show up with you so that they can receive as much of you as they need? Because my wisdom will do nothing for them. My yeah. presence, while comforting to some, is not really what they need. And so I think, you know, partnering with God looks like being quiet long enough to be reminded it is not up to me. Yeah. It is not up to me to provide the wisdom, the answers, the fix, the hope, the encouragement, the energy, the strength, the motivation. It is, um, that's really on God. And I am asked to partner and sit with and hold space for people to ask them good questions and share true feelings. But um, it really is a lot of my partnering with God is on my walks. <laughs> Every morning I walk mm. really early and for about an hour and 15 minutes and I start off my walks quiet and just asking for to be filled, I guess. Yeah. And then going from there. Uh, Katie, I don't. I, I think you told me that you listened to a handful of these in preparation for this, and so you might have heard me say this. But I can't tell you how many times, going on a walk or going on a hike or getting out in nature, and I think it's. I mean, I think it's elevator right now, and people who've listened to all of these are like, "Oh my gosh, she's going there again." <laughs> but I, I, I do think it's elevator right now because of this, you know, season that we've been in for the last mm -hmm. few years, but that's become such a common theme in the conversations mm -hmm. I've had on this podcast is mm -hmm. the, the deliberateness of a walk or the nature aspect of a walk. H how long mm -hmm. has that been a, an important part of your own rhythms and how did you mm -hmm. realize it was so important for you? I think I've been walking for 20 years. Okay. I mean, I think I remember having babies and strollers and walking and getting outside. And just when I was angry, I would walk. When I was sad, I would walk. I would, I would get overwhelmed or flooded and I would walk. 
I would walk with friends. I would, I would notice that there were things I could get to in my mind, walking it out, you know? So we, I would call a friend and say, I need to walk and talk. And, um, and there was just this, something about that process of one foot in front of the other allowed for some thinking that might not have come had I just sat still in a chair in my house. And, uh, but I would say that in the last five years, my, the dailiness of my walking has increased, um, Mm. to where there isn't, unless I'm, I'm not really often sick, but there's rarely a day I don't walk. I mean, it's almost, um, it is my mental health to take a walk. And, and more than that, you know, even speaking to nature, my friends get so sick of me. And if you looked at my Instagram, you'd think really another picture of clouds. (laughs) But for me, looking up has just been this source of great hope. And I remember asking Jesus very specifically, what do I do when I start to feel like everything is up to me? And I just, you know, in the way you learn to hear um, the divine speak, I felt like I heard Jesus say, look up. And I started noticing how beautiful the clouds were, how even on a rainy day, just the various colors and the different kinds of clouds. And, and, um, so for me now to look up is to see God. It's very weird. It's just, but it's a habit. It's a practice I've cultivated in addition to the walking. And so walking for me is not on a treadmill. It's not just walking, it's walking outside and looking up and, um, seeing the clouds. So I am also a, uh, beating a dead horse when it comes to walking in clouds. So I am on your team. <laughs> well, I, I think you're on everybody else's team. I think everybody's trying to convince <laughs> me to walk more. I mean, our, oh, golden, okay. our golden doodle puppy is getting us out walking more, but yeah, I, I more just um, sit here wishing I was in the mountains hiking because I really love oh, hiking, yeah. but then it, it becomes more of a aspirational, mm-hmm. <laughs> an aspirational yeah. practice than a real practice. So, so yeah. as a, I mean, you also do a lot of Enneagram work. Um, yes. What were your challenges moving into spiritual direction as an Enneagram one? Because I would imagine, like, <laughs> how, how would you discern between your own inner voice and trying to be attentive to what the spirit is doing in a session? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what's funny is I remember doing my application for spiritual direction training. And um, I remember writing, I talk too much. Um, and I don't think good spiritual directors talk a lot. So I don't think it's good. And then I remember meeting with the director of the program and saying, I talk a lot. I think this is going to be a problem. And she said, I'm not worried. Let's just see what God does. And she's so peaceful. She was a nine and so peaceful. And honestly, this is when I said I am my least one when I'm spiritually directing. I mean it. It's it's like this gift. So I think my biggest challenge was thinking I would have to fix people or that if they came yeah. with quote unquote wrong theology, I would have to offer them yeah. quote unquote true theology. But the way I was trained and the people I was trained by a couple nines, in addition to some other kinds of people, but just really impressed upon me, you are there to hold space for people to yeah. process with God. Yeah. And so it was. The, it's the one place I feel the most comfortable yeah. letting people work it out by themselves. It is not my job. So they can say whatever they want to me. I don't get offended. I don't get worried. I don't think they're, you know, falling off, off a cliff or going down a slippery slope. I just, 
my job is to ask questions, to encourage, to talk about Jesus and maybe bring up a story from the gospels and ask what they see. And um, so, I mean, I think there was a lot of concern I had about talking too much and about wanting to fix people, but it just hasn't borne out. I still think I probably talk more than some spiritual directors. I mean, I remember my first spiritual director barely spoke. <laughs> and that is not how I do it. Right. And that's okay because I'm me and sure. I'm going to do it as me. But um, I got really comfortable letting God lead. And then it wasn't a problem. Yeah. So yeah. that's a gift to me. Yeah. So what, um, what other rhythms do you have? Besides walk, or maybe even rhythms that you incorporate into the walking alongside mm-hmm. looking up. But what other mm-hmm. rhythms mm-hmm. do you have that help help you maintain that awareness and attentiveness of God and making sure mm-hmm. you're in a healthy place yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, now we have to talk about the examine because I think that's the prayer from the yeah. exercises that I latched onto yeah. and. What I loved about it is when I learned about it, I was given the prayer of examine and then was told there's lots of different ways to pray it. Look it up, go look up different ways. And there was an app with 78 different versions on it. And there was, and so I wasn't handed a prayer I had to perfect or do the right way, or there was one way to do it. I was handed a prayer that essentially offered me this invitation to notice God was present, notice what I was grateful for. Notice what I, you know, in a sense, wasn't grateful for Mm -hmm. (laughs) and ask for what I needed and um, notice that God would be with me. Um, And what a gift, because I can kind of pray it then however I want. And so if nothing else, if nothing else, I mean, I shouldn't say there there isn't a day that goes by because there might be, but truly it feels like every day I'm saying, thank you, God, for being with me, especially mm-hmm. today. And I'll add, I have never been alone. I never will be alone. And I'm not alone right this minute. And that one set, like that one group of sentences has transformed my awareness of God and has allowed me to look up and see Jesus yeah. in the skies. And, and then I will say, spirit, show me whatever I need to see today. And then on a good day, I will then go into, here's what I noticed about this day. Here's what I've, here's where I've fallen short. Here's where I wish I would have done something differently. Here's where I'm really grateful. Here's where, and I can go into all the other aspects of the examine, but just saying, thank you for being with me. Show me whatever I need to see. Mm. That is, um, that is probably the crux of my spiritual practice. And then I, you know, I try to read from the Psalms or the gospels or, um, something every day. And, um, you know, I try to play, (laughs) I try to play with friends and uh, I like to do karaoke with my friends and get together with them. And we watch silly shows together and eat together. And, um, there are some practices like that, that I find really important. But as far as like my daily spiritual rhythms, I think it's walking I listen to, I have music that I listen to and sing to. It helps me to, as silly as it sounds, it helps me to worship just when I'm really inward on all my problems and all the things that I'm worried about. If I can just, um, and music for me, it looks different in 
different seasons. Sometimes I really like quiet hymns. Sometimes I like folk. Sometimes I like the big band worship with it's like screaming in your ears. Sometimes I like, it depends. It just depends. But there's always a song that will kind of draw me into focus. Has examined for you, has that been something that's just been core ever since you did the exercises eight years ago? Like, has that been a faithful companion, so to speak, for all that eight or nine years ago, I think you said? Yeah, I mean, it it has, I has definitely ebbed and flowed in the first, you know, maybe five years I learned it, but I would say the last four years, it's been pretty consistent. Yeah, And that's what was really weird about going to, I did a retreat in May of 2020, a day um, in a friend's carriage house, right in the middle of the pandemic when people were still locked down. And I just had to get out of my house and um, took all my journals and noticed that so many reflections and observations that meant the most to me came out of the examine. And, you know, it's one thing to practice something, but it's one thing to practice something intentionally or knowingly, (laughs) if that makes sense. And once I recognized that I received so much fruit from the examine, I was then more, more compelled to faithfully practice it. So it's interesting. I, I had, I think I practiced it pretty faithfully for a number of years, but when I recognized that I felt even more compelled Yeah, and just, Oh wow, this is a way for me to see and be with God. And do do you look back at your practice of examine and can you see ways that it is, that it is shifted over time? Like maybe time of day you do it or the kinds of themes that come out of it. Like what kind of changes have you seen as you've practiced it over so many years? I think that was the gift of how it was taught to me is that I was taught to play with it, yeah. to practice saying it in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. I remember when our whole group, this was so funny. I remember we all set five alarms a day because there's a lot of people practice a five part examine. And so we would, we all encouraged each other to set alarms for, you know, 7 a.m., 10, noon, 3, 6 for the different parts of the exam. And for months, we all just clicked off those. Right, right. We just weren't, we weren't even paying attention <laughs> to those alarms. And so obviously that didn't work. I found that for me, morning is always going to work better than night. I'm, yeah. I'm all, I'm, you know, what's the, what are the, I'm, I'm mimicking what a toddler does to say all done when they're done eating, but I'm all done by like 8 PM. So right. there's no great conversations with God for me past eight. Um, so I was encouraged to play with it. So it absolutely has changed. And um, I was also given lots of different versions of it to try. And so I'll work with a version for three or four months and then say, eh, I like this other one better. I like parts of this and parts of this. And so over the years, I've kind of figured out what I like best and added different parts to it. And that's how I kind of have come up with my current practice is just, yeah. here's what seems to work. And it's most often right now in the mornings on your walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I chuckled when you talked about the uh, alarms and the reminders, because I, <laughs> when I was doing the exercises, so I actually had, I mean, I was an aspirational examiner, for, <laughs> much like it. an aspirational hiker, I suppose, for many years. You know, I mm-hmm. taught about it a few times in churches. I always wanted, and I finally settled into a rhythm of it, but it was primarily morning 
for me. And then when I started the exercises, that's when I did my exercises. And, you know, the goal when I did the exercises, the goal was to do the examine twice a day. And so I, 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 I probably throughout the nine months I did the exercises, I changed the alarm times I had on my phone <laughs> several times. Okay, let's try 12 and four. No, let's mm-hmm. try, try 10 and six, you know, not six, because that's deep, you know, family time. But mm-hmm. um, and all the way through, I just was always like, nope, not right now. I don't have it. So I'm similar to you in the morning. But that, but again, like you say, that's the beautiful thing is it's a very, mm-hmm. there's movements to it, but there's a lot of, it's not a rigid, structured, do this, but there's a lot of flexibility to it. But still those mm-hmm. movements of gratitude and, mm-hmm. you know, expressing repentance, or I, I like to call it actually desire, like, you know, mm-hmm. this is who I think you long for me to be, Jesus, and I've fallen short. You know, so it's working mm-hmm. through those movements just mm-hmm. surfaces so much. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was in, I was thinking about this as you were talking about it because you know I have these other questions. I'm sorry, I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at my other screen now here, <laughs> <laughs> my big giant screen that's making my face glow. Um, but I have these other questions that I often ask, like, you know, what is what relationships support you the most or what does it look like for you to love God? You know, in there is a heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do you know when you're not doing well, what restores you? I often don't even get to those questions when I'm interviewing people that I just kind of have them queued up as maybe questions. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering, as I look back at those now in your own, you know, long-term practice of examine now, do you feel like those have just, all been answered or all been surfaced through your examined prayer? Like if I were to say, how do you know when you're not doing well, would you say, oh, because it comes up and examine? That's so interesting. Um, I would say I know because I get, um, uh, what do I want to say? Faster. Everything gets faster. Hmm. I talk faster. I'm trying to do more. I'm trying to, um, my my thoughts are racing. There's something about even just that starting place of thank you for being with me. Especially yeah. now, I've never been alone. <laughs> never will be alone. I am not alone right now. If I can't get that out because I'm going too fast and I'm thinking too hard and I'm rushing and I'm trying too hard, that's when I know I'm not fine. So I don't know that it comes out in the examine. I think it's can I even get to the examine? Hmm, if I yeah. can't if I can't center myself enough to say that I know I'm not okay. And, but I will say as I've practiced the examine um, something, and I, I think I wrote about this, um, but it's that all or nothing thinking that we can get trapped into, particularly for me as a one, I can do good and bad, right and wrong, up or down. It's all this or all that. It's all or nothing, all that thinking. Um, what I will notice is that um, I'll notice that in the examine. So I've even learned that when I'm not okay, I don't have to just not be okay then the whole rest of the day. Yeah, I can take a break <laughs> and I might just need 10 minutes. I might need two hours, but I can come back and do hard things if I will just let myself take a break. And I remember the day I realized that in the examine where I was I truly felt like I had come to the end of myself and I just disappeared in my mind for two hours and um, 
just gave myself two hours off of living, of answering questions, of doing anything productive, of showing up to other people um, and myself. And then I was able to re-engage. And I remember when I noticed that in the examine, I thought, oh, that's, that's so new. Mm-hmm. I don't have to just disappear then for the day. Like a whole day isn't a wash or a whole... Um, I noticed I was growing and able to just take a break and come back, take a break and come back. And I've noticed that my breaks will change times. And then I just give myself more grace to say, okay, I think I know, I know I need a little break. Yeah. And because I've seen that in the examine and I've seen my ability to come back, if I will give myself some rest, um, I'm more apt to take it and not get to a place of complete breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. So on, on the other, some of the other practices you named, can we talk about play? Because I'm wondering if um, Katie in her twenties is an Enneagram on, I'm assuming you're not in your twenties now. Because I'm only saying that because I know the age (laughs) of your kids. That's not, um, (laughs) but I'm wondering if Katie in her twenties could have named play as one of her healthy spiritual rhythms. I'm assuming not. And oh. you're shaking your head. No. <laughs> so no, 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 no. Healthy how, spiritual rhythms were being up early reading yeah, the Bible and yeah. praying for an hour. So how did yeah. you how did you come to a place where you can now which I affirm you saying play, right? That's yeah. great. So how how did you come to a place where you can now acknowledge and embrace play as part of what I need in my life and it's healthy for me. I know. Well this again so many gifts of the contemplative stream, but I've found that the people I was reading and talking to and interacting with as I was going through the exercises, as I'm in my spiritual direction training, they named play. Yeah. And I remember it being revolutionary. Yeah. And um, I also joined a board of a counseling center about four mm-hmm. years ago, the Refuge Center for Counseling. And they do amazing work with, you know, really trying to get people healthy mentally, socially, and emotionally, and um, trying to provide it, you know, affordable counseling for all people. And gosh, I just get a front row seat to what yeah. emotional wellness looks like. And it is just a component. And that whole body, I think I started learning it in spiritual direction training that mind body soul strength thing (laughs) and then being on the board of a counseling center and having a bunch of friends as counselors my sister and brother-in-law are counselors some of my best friends are counselors it it's almost it is almost what we need and then going through the pandemic just highlighted the need for it so i think i've been growing in it And as I began to see that my worth wasn't tied up in my productivity and doing the right things, I was able to play more. Um, And so I would say it's just been this growing practice for 10 years and everything around me has affirmed that it is important for me and that laughter is important for me and watching Parks and Rec is important (laughs) for me and, you know, doing karaoke and making a fool of myself is important for me and, um, being with people that, you know, going to a soccer game in Nashville at our new stadium and just yeah. enjoying myself with friends is really 
important for me. So it's really, I'm really so grateful to be in an environment that supports and talks about play within the work I do so much work um, with people who are on the front lines of justice. What they've told me is that if they hadn't developed habits of play, they would be at an utter loss in this world. And so between the work I do between work in contemplative spirituality and my work at a counseling center, it's just been highly supported as a way forward. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's when I first, you know, I have past history. Well, and I mean, it's still something I do from time to time, which is, you know, therapy. And when I was first working towards spiritual direction, um, I almost had in my mind this tension that exists between counseling and spiritual direction. And I think I still almost have a tendency to want to apologize for the difference between the two. Apologize might not be the right word, but what I'm actually finding is that they actually really do um, go alongside each other very well. I mean, I've actually done direction with a number of counselors because they see the benefit of the need. I've certainly um, suggested to people this might be a counseling issue rather than a spiritual direction issue. (laughs) So I'm wondering, because you've lived in both those worlds, I'm wondering if you could just speak a little to when would you encourage someone to go to counseling versus when would you encourage someone to be in spiritual direction? Yeah. I mean, I would probably say go to both is what often sure. is. <laughs> I would probably say most of us need both. Yeah. Um, but how I see them is different um, for myself and for the people that I work with is there is just what I notice in the world is that even among our best friends, most of us aren't talking about how we feel yeah. about our relationship with God. Yeah. We are talking about what we believe. We are encouraging each other that as Christians, this is what we want to be about. We are talking about um, what it means to be a Christian in the world. But very few people tell other people on a regular basis what it feels like to pray. That this day, I felt every door fly open, or I had the weirdest thing. I looked up and I looked at the clouds and I had tears in my eyes. And I, is that God? I mean, am I crazy to look up in the clouds and see God in the clouds every day? Most people don't have that conversation with their best friend. Yes. And so I think spiritual direction is this beautiful opportunity to unpack the what is arguably supposed to be the most important relationship in your life. But there's problems in that relationship. There are things that get in the way of you receiving love from God of um, you understanding and knowing and believing who God is, that God is good, that God is present, that God is kind, that God is forgiving. Our stories prevent us from believing the true nature of God. And so we've got to have a space to talk about that. And then we've got to have counseling to unpack what is it that causes me to believe all these lies? Yeah. Like wh- what? what is the story I told myself at three yeah. when – I was alone again on Christmas morning. What is the, you know, who knows? And so I will say to people about when do you need to go to counseling when you're aware that things that have happened to you or things that you have done are preventing you from being the person you want to be, loving the people that you do love in effective and ways they receive it, and receiving the love of other people and the love of God. I mean, you almost need both because even when I'm in counseling, 
um, and I'm going through the things that are getting in my way, the, the lies I've believed and why, the self-defeating behaviors that I just still keep thinking about, I will then need to process that with my spiritual director and say, this is really creating some distance between God and I. Yeah. And I don't really know what to do about that. And then often she'll just invite me into some quiet to imagine Jesus in the room with me. And what does he want to say to that? And so to me, they really complement each other. Um, but I would say spiritual direction in particular is that place where you really are unpacking your actual relationship with God, not what you believe about God. People shouldn't go to spiritual direction to figure out how to be a better prayer right. or to figure out what they believe. A lot of people deconstructing want to come to me and say, you have to tell me what to believe. Yeah. I don't even know what to believe anymore. And I say, well, I hate to disappoint you, but I will give you nothing. But I do want to connect you. I do want to offer you space to connect with God and yeah. then we'll go from there. Yeah. yeah. Can you hear my dog? She's I can. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, I'm surprised my dog's not somehow picking that up and barking in the background. Yes, going with it. Mm -hmm. Well, I have a new, I, I want to give you a little bit of, I mean, we've alluded to your book and I'd love to give you a couple minutes to talk about that. But before that, I have a new closing question that I don't know if I sent this to you or not, because it's only a recent change, but here we is, go. Who do you hope to be in 10 years? And if you want to think about that and then talk a little about your book, you can do that. Or if you just want to go into that one. Oh my gosh. Uh, I do have a best friend that I talk to most mornings around eight o'clock and um, something we have said to each other for probably 15 years is I have to do it because this is who I want to be. I yeah. have to say this because this is who I want to be. I have to have that hard conversation because this is who I want to be. I have to set that boundary because mm. this is who I want to be. Yeah. And so I know who I want to be. I have known who I want to be. I want to be someone that is overwhelmingly making decisions out of a place of love that that awareness of I came from love, I was made in love, and I'm returning to love. Hmm. And so there is that animating force of love that I want to just invade all of my thought processes. So in the end, I want to be someone who is known for having loved and having been loved and allowed herself to have been loved by God and then just freely and generously and graciously dumped that out on other people. So I mean, that's pretty lofty, um, yeah. but it it's is. Good though. It's a good, it it's is, a good, good loft. Yeah, it's a good loft. I haven't <laughs> um, succeeded in that, but it is who I want to be. And I will say, and we say to each other, as I said, that, oh, I don't want to do this, but this is who I want to be. Yeah. If I'm going to be who I want to be, I've got to do this. So yeah. it it's helpful for me to have that in my mind at all times. And like I said, I fall short of it daily, but it is my hope. Yeah, that's really good. That's great. I've never heard that phrase mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to do this because it's who I want to be, but that's so, mm -hmm. so intentional. And you're right. That's mm -hmm. got to be motivating and even empowering to well, make and it, if you're someone, Yeah. And if you're someone like me who has historically been very concerned about how, the, how other people think about her or mm, see her yeah. or, you know, we call that codependency in a lot of circles. <laughs> it is this way of saying, okay, there has to be something else motivating 
how I'm engaging the world than what other people think or believe about me or anything else. So if I know who I want to be, then even if what I have to say or do is not received well, I'm staying true to who I want to be. And so that's been incredibly important for me to know who I want to be and then move forward regardless of how people respond to it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, why don't you tell us, I mean, again, we've kind of talked around your book a few times, but why don't you tell us a little <laughs> bit about your book? And like I say, I, I invited you on the podcast because I came across your book reading about wanting to read more about examine and really appreciated your books. I thought oh, this is somebody I need to reach out to. So tell us a little about your book. Thank you. I um, have never written a book before and did not intend to write a book. <laughs> and on that little retreat where I looked at my journals, I felt God saying, write a book. And yeah. I am in fact, do pretty dutiful. And so I did just that. And people laugh when they'll say, well, how many editors did you have? Well, no one, someone did the punctuation at the end. It was me, myself and I, and a few of my friends who I would send chapters to and say, does this make any sense to you? And, um, but the whole thing was written in about eight weeks. And then there was some editing, but it really did flow. And it flowed out of all these experiences I've had with people and talking to people about God and, and being very curious about how people perceive and know and understand God. And it was me wanting to make what could feel like a really, I don't know, unattainable, lofty, sterile, you name it, practice and making it earthy and real and for people in their real lives. And for someone who has loved Ignatian spirituality for 10 years for someone who, you know, loves St. Ignatius. I'm not a Catholic, but I tell people, I say in the book that Ignatian spirituality isn't the only way, but it is a faithful way to practice Christianity. And I have found a lot of gifts in it. And yet when you go to read about it, you're mostly going to read books by priests. Yep. You're going to yep. read <laughs> male priests, I should say, because yeah. um, in the Jesuit tradition, there are no female priests. And you're going to read a lot of books about Ignatian spirituality written by men. And I, there was really one, Margaret Sylph, who hmm. wrote yeah. Inner Compass. She was the only one I read. And yeah. I love all the books I read by the men, but I thought, there's got to be another mom out there. There's got to be another person out there who has this kind of time, this kind of life. Um, And so I just wanted it to be a companion to people. I wanted to bring it to people in a way that it was given to me, where it was um, something I could do in my life. And I wanted people to feel empowered to do it in their lives. They didn't have to be um, a Jesuit priest, a male Jesuit priest to enjoy the examine and other principles of Ignatian spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think that perspective was, needed and really helpful it doesn't it doesn't feel like a mom book you know you speak <laughs> from your places you know I, like me as a male i i see books out there and sometimes they go, i go that's a book for all the moms to read not not all of them but um but the, your book doesn't at all feel like a mom book to me but i would but i would also imagine um the examine might be the ultimate mom prayer you know talk about <laughs> the prayer that you can do that's yeah deep and meaningful but also in the midst of Hustle and bustle. And um, I think it's a prayer for our time. It's, it's the prayer of attentiveness to what is, you know, making the, the the sacred and the mundane connect in the middle of the day or throughout the day. It just more than ever, we need that kind of attentiveness. I think. I will say that my favorite 
thing about writing this book is that, so I did get some feedback in the middle saying, you, you, you veer into women's territory only a couple times, meaning you talk a lot very specifically about being a mom and like the experience of being a female and, you know, what maybe life is like for a female. And they said, if you would just tweak a few things, I think this book could be for everybody because you don't have a very distinct mom voice, like what you're saying. And so I went back and kind of took out certain parts of it that were a little more of what you're talking about, the mom book. And, um, and the greatest gift to me was I give my first copies to my neighbors. My, some of my best friends live in my neighborhood and I gave them to my female friends, but I'm also really good friends with their husbands and they read the book and my gosh, I got the sweetest texts um, from them as they were reading along the Mm. galleys, basically just printed out sheets that they had printed out and how meaningful it was to them. And I think what is so sweet to me is that even when God said, write the book and I had an idea of what that looked like, I couldn't have imagined how God would use it. And that to me was just another example of this is not up to me. I, I may have had an idea of what I was doing, but the fact that the people who know me best can read it and get something out of it and they're not other women like me, yeah. that's such a gift. Yeah. That's a work I didn't do. And yeah. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful you wrote it and I hope Thank others you. find it and read it. So, well, if someone wants to keep up with you or what you're up to, you know, or maybe at some season when you're making yourself available to spiritual direction more again, where, where can people find you? Um, well, I have a website, katiehasseltine.com. So that's pretty straightforward. And then I am a really sporadic Instagrammer. I try, I do better with my stories. Yes. It's like, Oh, I just forget. Um, but I'm Katie dash Hasseltine, I think there. So that's pretty easy. And then, um, if you want to learn more about the work of the center, that's centerfjp.org. And um, you can connect with me through there too, because, um, and that's Center FJP is all of our social media platforms and our website. So gotcha. should be pretty easy to find. All right. Well, thank you, Katie. And thank you for, just now for pronouncing your last name, because I think I might've pronounced oh. it wrong when I recorded, I haven't recorded the <laughs> intro yet. So now when I record the intro, I will know how to actually properly pronounce it. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.